0: Hi, this is Jake Jacobs, and we are here at New York Update, and we are back with Anthony Nicodemo. He is the union president from the Greenberg-North Castle School District, the teachers' union. Since we last spoke, there have been an increase in cases, just to kind of go over what we know, There was a positive case reported at the Reach Academy in West Harrison last Wednesday night. School was closed on Thursday. The Department of Health, the Department of Health at that time only officially designated two other people for testing and quarantine, but then another staff member got tested on their own and came back positive which led to more testing of staff on Monday morning, where they announced school would not be reopening. And that expanded the testing. A third case was discovered on Monday. Then we go to Wednesday, where, Anthony, you told the New York Bats that there was more cases. Besides the three staff, that there was three students who had tested positive, and then later in the day, a fourth student. Now uh, we're here on Thursday morning, and you're saying that there are even more cases? Yeah, it seems like in the last tu-
1: uh, last two days, we've had two more staff members that have tested positive. We've had three kids, it seems like, that have tested positive, and there's some rumors swirling around, which we don't necessarily have access to right away, of additional kids that have tested positive as well. So we're
0: slowly but surely it seems to be adding to our tally a lot of this is not made public because of HIPAA regulations and also just privacy regulations you know especially when it comes to students right there are three known cases of students that were in a residential home that travels back and forth to the school ordinarily or at least they did for the first two weeks and then do we know about the other students In this particular case at
1: Reach Academy, uh, we are attached to a specific campus, uh, pretty much the majority of the kids, uh, where these cases, these positive cases, have surfaced. So you can kind of use deductive reasoning to know that those kids, you know, are attending our our
0: school. Is it so close nearby that the kids just walk, or do they get on a bus?
1: No, they're transported in vans. Right. You know, it's only maybe, you know, a 10-minute van ride, give or take. That's right. the only campus. That's the only campus that's not on our our other two schools are actually on the campus where the kids live.
0: Right. So they do
1: walk. This particular building, this program outgrew the building that we once used on campus. So the kids are transported to the to the building.
0: We are looking at the possibility of the transmission of the virus uh in classrooms we're also looking at the possibility of transmission in these vans right where where it could go from kid to kid you did also say that when school was open there were also kids getting driven up from all over the city right
1: correct but this particular summer because of covid I do not believe the majority of districts are transporting their kids. Right. So I, I believe there's very little, if any, day students in that building at this point.
0: So here's what we know at this moment: there are five staff now that have tested positive. Because this morning you said uh, another two staff has have tested positive, and we are up to five students. Correct.
1: Well, we, we know that the uh, you know we don't we don't handle the students per se based on HIPAA and that kind of stuff so the agency has has confirmed to the to the news media three and then as I've said it's been reported to me but not officially that there are two more right. um, but once again until until the agency shares that information it is just it's just that you know it's a rumor but okay yeah, we, can, we can go with that
0: where we'd like yeah, well, we we will wait for confirmation. When the agency, and that's the organization that runs the home, right, the residential home, confirms to the media that's when it, it will be official. But you you are in meetings. Um, you've been in constant meetings, I know, last night with the district. And have you also been talking to the Department of Health? Uh, I've had no conversation with Department of Health since our meeting on Sunday. Okay. Um, to my knowledge, what the, what the Department of Health has told the district is
1: that at this particular uh, juncture in time, there's no more tracing to be done. And the district is kind of out of the loop now because we've been out of school for a week. Everything is only 48 hours backwards. So therefore, the district really has nothing to do with this at this point, you know, outside of knowing what's going on. But the district has no tracing or no, no obligations at this point from what the Department of Health has said.
0: That's an interesting point because, you know, there's going to be a lot of teachers listening and they're going to want to know in New York City and around the state what the official protocols are when a teacher, when a staffer or a student tests positive in a school. Now, you're saying the Department of Health only looks back 48 hours. But in the case of this school, we know that the first teacher who tested positive had been in school and then took off time. They might have been experiencing symptoms, it would seem uh, logical, but they hadn't been in school uh, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday when they reported that they were positive on Wednesday night. So does that look back, go back farther than 48 hours? Uh, You're talking about case number one? Yeah.
1: Case number one, I believe that their test came back on Wednesday right so you're right it, it would if it, if it was Wednesday it would go back Monday and Tuesday and they hadn't been in there since thir- yeah you're correct I haven't even thought about that so you just said that so they're kind of contradicting themselves with that a little bit you're right because yeah. why did they do any tracing then if that person hadn't been in the building since the Friday right I, you know what, though, one of the things, though, that they do, they talk symptoms as well. Uh-huh. So if that person had symptoms starting on that Friday, they might have went backwards from that day. Uh-huh. At that point, the person was in the building.
0: Okay, so if somebody's experiencing symptoms, but when you're having symptoms, you don't necessarily know that's COVID, right? It could be something else. But I think, they,
1: I think with that, you know, they're going to say, you know, if you have any of these symptoms and then you test positive they're going to assume that those symptoms are, are COVID-related.
0: We know that as soon as you learned of this situation, you and other uh, members from the union were requesting pretty widespread testing. And I'm, I know you had mentioned uh, about 19 potential people that were in proximity, including students and staff, but the Department of Health guidelines last thursday only targeted two people for testing and quarantine we spoke about that on the last podcast there we were asking what guidelines everybody was going by and you showed us department of health guidelines and some cdc guidelines which looked like they were pretty out of date because like they didn't mention masks And they were mentioning models like South Korea, you know, which was a long time ago. So the Department of Health has not done anything to update its guidelines in this case, because this seems like it's a pretty disturbing case here, the first in New York that we know of. And it seems like the guidelines were a problem. It seems like only targeting two people when they should have targeted 19 could have tested and found more positive cases sooner
1: yeah based on the guidelines that we've seen and that the health department shared with us in our call on sunday it was clear that there was some kind of a breakdown here you know based on what proximate and and close contact mean and all that kind of stuff so you know we know that at this point um nice issued a statement just about a half hour ago on this as well so you know we're still ramping it up on our end also this morning, I have requested to our superintendent that we go virtual for the last two weeks of summer school. Oh yeah. Uh, based on conversation with my members, and I've requested that that take place in all buildings. Right. While the state hopefully get their stuff together and try to make things a little safer for us. Now, I'm not sure the superintendent's going to abide by that or not, because I also requested that in June before this started. But I felt that at this time we have to make a statement. So my statement is to you know request that we remain virtual for the remainder of the summer.
0: Right. And I know that you were also vocally in opposition to in-person in the first place, but that the the teachers union did abide by the protocols and tried to make it as safe as possible. And so it's kind of a case of like, I told you so, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, not only the teachers union, the administrators union actually was very, very very adamantly opposed to ESY, in-person ESY. And, uh, you know, the board voted on it, and one board member voted against it. Everyone else voted for it. They took the superintendent's recommendation. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because the things that I was worried about happened. You know, I didn't want us to become the test case. I didn't want us to become the bullseye. And that's
0: exactly what happened. Another thing that has come up, because, again, a, a lot of teachers are asking me, what happens if we open in September in my school, and a couple days or weeks in there's a positive case, it seems as though a teacher could self-report, right? The district doesn't have to tell anybody their identity and doesn't have to tell other people that were in proximity to an infected person until the Department of Health contacts them. But a teacher could go public with that, and that has happened in the, the spring. So do you know if any of these staff have reported being symptomatic? To my knowledge,
1: two of the first three were were symptomatic. Okay. Um, two of the first three, the, the, the second case, I believe actually had left. and didn't come into school for a couple of days because of this while they were waiting test results. So they, they have. I'm not sure the severity of it, but there was some
0: symptoms involved. Okay, you say, you're saying that the Department of Health is out of it now, and you were saying that there was testing going on as late as yesterday. Where do we stand right now with testing? Have all the staff been tested in the whole building?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, no, but probably pretty close. Um, it seems like your testing yesterday was based on contact with case number two. Mm-hmm. So those people would have been tested based on contact you know, almost a week before because it's, you know, case number two, I believe, started symptoms like that Thursday, so they would have been traced back to Tuesday of Wednesday of last week. So everything's almost a week behind on this, which is pretty scary if you think about it. I mean you're a week behind and you know, that's when we talk about these lags that occur. Yeah. And you know, the Department of Health right now I think is putting all the resources into us. They're not gonna be able to do that in September when this takes place in fifteen different school districts. Ugh. So I don't know how I don't know how this is gonna work. But you know, from my knowledge now, after yesterday's testing, there's no more contact tracing involving the school. Because now there's no contact within the period since the school's been closed. So whatever the Department of Health is doing right now with the agency side of it, they are working on tracing with those students on whether or not they went home this weekend or whatever, wherever they might have been, which you know, I'm not privy to. Right. That's where it seems like this is, this is at now.
0: As the union chief, you've been able to get a lot more information on the staff side, but the student side, there is kind of like a layer of privacy because they are dealing with the agency. Another thing that you said that this was really taxing on resources was the, the contact tracing. Once this was found out, and we're, we're talking about just the first case, you said that the administrator in the building had to spend hours and hours, if not days, doing the contact tracing and providing the names to the department of health and then I suppose as that expanded it just got to be like exponential. So, do you have any updates on how much of a burden the contact tracing time was on the administrators in the building? Yeah, I mean, I
1: know, you know, just in speaking with my superintendent, you know, it was it was a whole day of contact tracing in each case. You know, it was a lot. Yeah. You know, getting class rosters, who was there, talking to them. I mean, it wasn't. It, it was hours and hours and hours of work to get that done. The other interesting piece is we have a couple of these members who do not live in Westchester County, uh-huh. and they're being told that basically the department at the Westchester County Department of Health seems to pass it off to wherever they live, whether it's New York City or Connecticut, and then they have to pick up the contact tracing from there. So that's another interesting layer here that hits, because if you start passing it off to other health departments, where are they? What are their resources, you know? So it's an interesting dynamic of how this all works, the way they pass it off to where they
0: live. Right, and one of the metrics for reopening schools is supposed to be that a region has capacity for contact tracing. Where I live here in Rockland County, they were hiring contact tracers, and my daughter actually applied. She was looking for work at the time. And they said that they were full. So it sounds like there's supposed to be these professional contact tracers. But in the case of a school, I mean, is it just easier that the principal does it because they have the list and they have all the contacts already? And I don't,
1: think, I don't think there's any other way for it to be done. Because when you're talking about what goes on inside a classroom, you're talking about kids, you need to have class rosters. Right. You know, there's no way for a contract or tracer to have access to school records.
0: Right, and so, attendance you know,
1: records. I'm sure, I'm sure the contact tracer interviewed the positive case, but the initial list has to come from somewhere, which is, which is the school. Uh, interesting enough, our labor relations specialist took the John Hopkins course on tracing and he was pretty knowledgeable, and he was able to push back on the Department of Health on our phone call on Sunday. Yeah. And be like, no, 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 this is this is not what we were told when, we, you know, when I went and got trained for this. Wow. So it's interesting to see the, the, the gaps that exist here. I, I'm very involved locally, politically in Westchester. You know, and even the deputy county executive tried to come back a little bit on Twitter and say... No, this is what it says, and it was, took two seconds for myself and a couple other BATS members to push back with the actual document that says, no, There's this says this, so which is it? And we haven't heard anything in the county since then, of course. <laughs> and, you know, Ken's a friend of mine, he's a Yonkers guy, and, you know, it's not, it's not a contest or a game. It's just, hey, listen, you know, we don't think that this was actually done correctly. It seems like there's some
0: miscues here. That was Ken Jenkins, and, and Twitter is a public forum. I think everybody was civil, but we were just trying to get answers, and he disappeared very quickly at that point. Um, So we're still waiting for those answers. As part of the contact tracing, if you know, does it extend to family members or household members once the person goes home and then comes back the next day? That means potentially everybody in their household is now in proximity. So do you know if household members of, like, spouses of teachers or children of teachers were invited for testing?
1: Not by the Department of Health. The Department of Health issue was very specific to the people in the building who had contact. I don't believe that they were offering it
0: to anybody else. So they were advised then to go get tested on their own, but if you were a staff member, you were invited in for a free test on site and there was even rapid testing going on which you got back the results in just a matter of hours. So household members are on their own as far as we know?
1: Yes, I think they would have to get tested on their own.
0: Right. Okay, sorry. I know this is probably not your area of expertise. Yeah, I, I
1: I would assume the department of health only offered it at our building and at, on campus to the residents. So we
0: didn't invite all staff either. We just invited staff that was on the list. Right. And again, the list here because you mentioned this before, there, there's kind of a difference between the official designations of close contact and proximity. Proximity means you were in a bus together, you were in a room together. Close contact means you were under six feet away, could be with a, without a mask, although masks are not specified in writing in the guidelines. And that you had to have been in that situation for more than 15 minutes. And so we have regulations that are on the books that kind of discount the possibility of somebody being in a room eight feet away from a positive infected person that would not cover them for quarantine or testing. And so that's still the guidelines that we're dealing with, correct? For close contact. Right. Proximity would be somebody that was just in the room. Close contact would be somebody that spent 15 minutes or more less than six feet away. The chief medical officer of the CDC came out just this week and said, although the guidelines for proximity say that, you know, you have to be 15 minutes, you have to be within six feet. He says that was just a rule of thumb. And that if somebody was in proximity, which means they were in an enclosed room with them at any distance, that they may want to take precautions of quarantining and getting tested they may want correct. to so the so the cdc guidelines is officially vague it's like just a recommendation what's written on paper is that a very very high bar that you have to be over 15 minutes under six feet away from the person it would, which is not what was happening here in the school correct everything
1: has been set up socially distanced six feet apart that kind of a thing no question but clearly you were in a room with positive cases. So which is it? Is it proximate contact? Is it close contact? And I think that's the dilemma uh, that we are now in, works and which doesn't.
0: Right, and then there's also a dilemma within the CDC, as we know. You mentioned before that they are kind of at odds with the administration on a lot of this stuff. So when, when the chief medical officer comes out with a statement like that, it's, It's asking people to read between the lines, right? What he's basically saying is, you know, we have this rule of thumb on paper, but um, in practical terms, this virus spreads much farther than six feet, and this virus spreads much quicker than 15 minutes So, wink, wink, take precautions on your own, but, you know, officially, they're at odds. Oh, yeah, and and I think the obvious piece, when you start looking at
1: numbers like 15 minutes or 45 minutes or all the stuff that the state's putting out, you know, it's pretty ironic that most classes only are 45 minutes. So now it's an hour. So, like, based on some of these guidelines, a school would never have to quarantine a teacher ever, based on some of these guidelines.
0: Right. One of our uh, teacher allies, Bianca Tanis, also... Uh, Furnished us with a Department of Health document. I guess this is also weeks or months old that said businesses should quarantine workers, employees, they call it, who are in proximity. They do not say close contact, quote unquote. They say proximity. And so it would seem as though those guidelines are at odds, you know, between a business setting and a school setting. Because in a school setting, everybody's in a classroom together, and that's proximity. But, you know, businesses are laid out differently. The Department of Health guidelines there would have gotten everybody in the classroom tested.
1: It's, it's shoddy. It's all over the place. And I don't know how you open in September in full scale with having the guidelines all over the place.
0: Right. We are shoddy. So on the district level, is the district planning to do anything differently? Are they still weighing options, or does the uh, greenberg Castle district, has this kind of influenced their planning for September?
1: I mean, I think at this point, the district, based on our reopening plan, is going with the CDC guidelines. You know, the superintendent feels like she's going to go with what, you know, they do. I, I think the district has gone above and beyond in certain ways when it comes to signage and spacing. I think the district has done a pretty good job with that. I think, you know, they, they've probably done a little bit more than the guidelines. But I think, you know, as when you talk about administrators, they like to have cover. You know, they have the cover of the guidelines. Hey, you know, sorry, we were told that we could open and we abided by the guidelines that the state
0: gave, gave us. You're saying, you're saying that the district... has has kind of CYA'd because they followed all the protocols and everything here that's happened seems to be, if anything, a failure of the guidelines, right? Basically, we had two weeks of summer school here and then we started getting uh, symptoms and cases and now we're up to 10 cases and there's only two weeks left in summer school half of the people here are gonna be quarantined. It's been a cautionary tale. Do you have any sense of what the parents in the district are thinking and feeling? Um, I know the superintendent had said that a
1: couple parents had reached out to her and she had conversations with them. That's the extent of what I know. I haven't heard from any parents myself. You know, but I do think transparency is important in these cases to let people know what's going on. You know, it's it could be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's important for people to know You know, and that's what I've been doing with my members. I think I've sent almost 10 or 12 emails out since Wednesday. Right. Wednesday night when this started. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to keep people to the best of my ability updated with what's going on. And I think that's really important. I think if you're honest and you understand, hey, listen, we're doing everything that we can right now to protect you and to do what we have to do. I think that's what we have to, you know, needs to continue to happen.
0: This is pretty unsettling. I mean, just like jarring. To hear that you know young people are testing positive, a couple of people are having symptoms. I just saw in the news today that Herman Cain just died of COVID. So we're seeing some notable people in the news. This is pretty seriously affecting. And we just are hoping New York is going to stay relatively low and that this is going to be safe. But this seems to be one of the biggest cases in any summer school setting. You know, I was checking uh, the national press. There was uh, teachers who tested positive at a summer school in Hartford, at a summer school in Wisconsin, and Volusia County, Florida. But ten cases here would probably be the the most in the country that has been reported in a summer school that I could find. Yeah,
1: you know, we had uh, we had a member pass away in you know in June of COVID. You know, he he caught it way back in March and. Um, he didn't. You know, he, he he didn't make it. You know, so so we've seen it. You know, we've had members pass away. So yeah, it's definitely there and it's real. And I think on the larger scale, once this hits, it's going to be a problem. You know, there's any doubt about that. To to what scale, I don't know, but it's
0: definitely not a good situation. Right, I agree. Where I work is the is New York City, and we are the biggest district in the world. 1.1 million kids. There's going to be problems. Another interesting thing that was in the news uh, was Cornell University, you know, really big college with 24,000 kids ordinarily, college kids I call them, and they're very scientific and medical, they have a lot of going on there, so they ran models and they're going to be reopening in a model which they call the Green Zone where every student is going to get tested twice a week if you can believe it, and they're going to try to create this really really safe bubble But their own modeling has predicted that 1,200 students and staff are going to become COVID-positive. And the local assemblywoman is concerned that 1,200 cases is going to overwhelm Ithaca's hospitals, contact tracers, or their resources, and is asking uh, if Cornell is going to be contributing any funding or contributing any resources to this. So, you know, we're seeing a couple of different models and a couple of different plans, but this is all one giant experiment, it seems like. Yeah. An
1: interesting thing for us is we, we service kids from other districts. So, you know, if, if this happens to us, our kids are going back to White Plains, they're going back to Yonkers, they're going back to New York City. And if they pick it up at school, they're going back into their own communities, wherever they're from. And that could create some greater spread, too. So there's a lot of, you know, and then the flip side, they're also going to be bringing it into the building. So, you know, even if the residency the residence is a bubble and a day student comes in from New York City who lives in a densely populated area where it's prevalent, they could bring it in there. A resident could catch it. A resident goes back to the residencies and then it spreads through the entire campus. So there's a lot of different pitfalls that come out of this.
0: Yeah. And there's also delays, right? There's delays. If somebody actually gets tested and they have to get tested on, you know, on their own, they might not have the results for days and days, you know, and that's happened here. You know, in the meantime, everybody else that was in proximity to them is going back and forth. It seems like, and I know this might be really hard to enforce, it's kind of the honor system, but we might have to ask students and staff, don't go out and don't go to gatherings and don't travel I mean, I don't know if there's any way to enforce that, but, you know... I mean, remember something. We haven't talked
1: extracurricular activities or sports or these other things that could be happening. The other thing is that some of these places are going to institute this easy scan thing where they're not even going to scan their kids when they come in. They're going to do it on the honor system with the parents. So they're going to ask the parents to atten- uh, essentially scan their kid in the morning, make sure their kids help, and then they would enter it into a computer database that would then go to the school, oh. and that would be the way that this gets registered. So there's all kinds of crazy talk out there. We're staying with our own scanning process, but we have a limited amount of kids. You know, it's going to be really difficult for a building that has 5,000 kids to scan every kid when they walk through the door.
0: Yeah, that's, that's going to slow things down. Also, do you have quarantine protocols in place for somebody that comes to school and said, hey, I just got off a plane. I was just in uh, Florida. Yeah, we have four questions
1: that are to be asked uh, when they walk the door. We had three, and we actually added that travel question after the governor put those guidelines in. Okay. And actually, on the first day of summer school, we quarantined two members for those reasons. Um, So we do have that, and then we also scan temperature scan.
0: Right, Oh, so you heard um, of it? You heard of it before I did. Um, I heard yeah, of it. I heard it when the governor tweeted that list of states was the first I heard of it, which was only about two weeks ago. Well, Anthony, we really want to thank you for spending time and uh, uh, helping people understand what happened in this case, what happened in this district. You know, I hope nobody gets really sick. I hope everybody gets over it, and that this is it, and that doesn't spread any further. But it does seem like. Things kind of got away for a minute when you had positive cases and people not yet being tested. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, that, that's the hope. I guess we're going to have to sit back and we're going to have to week and see, you know, how this all plays out. And I got to think that at some point it will slow down just because we haven't been in the building. But where we go from here is the question. And then, you know, the health and safety of, of these people and their families over the next couple of weeks, the hope that they didn't spread it, you know, to their loved ones or to their, you know, anyone that they're around with pre-existing conditions
0: yes exactly and the fear the uh, buildings are slated to reopen you know and all at once not just this one building right this limited pilot that you had going on here you had 40 students you know so really want to thank you for taking the time and uh we'll, we'll be in touch all right good talking to you all right good luck thanks take care bye-bye-bye Bye-bye.